Hey guys, so we have an episode today that's a little bit out of the usual because um, we were me actually meeting um, someone to record an episode today on options trading and um, this episode will be recorded later this week when we have uh, our audio problems fixed up but um, since Sue and I were already here we thought why not use the time to record something that's very spontaneous um, for you guys and something that we actually never have done before. And uh, uh, the, the quickest idea that came to our mind was just to look at the top 20 coins on CoinGecko and um, well, just uh, kind of freestyle about them, just kind of talk about uh, what comes to mind. And, um, yeah, should we start off? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, yeah, so I have my, my, my CoinGecko open. Um, I think this could maybe be interesting for some of our less experienced listeners who are not as familiar like with all of the coins that that exist in kind of the, the broader cryptocurrency ecosystem top 20 is actually c die compound die so um i think that's actually a pretty pretty interesting one because it uh, highlights a pretty interesting uh property of DeFi. so can you maybe explain what what CDI even is? Yeah, sure. So DeFi being decentralized finance, uh, CDI is kind of a kind of a building block of that. So it's basically there's a stable coin called DAI, which exists when people collateralize their assets in the maker protocol and then borrow the stable coin from that. And that stable coin's name is DAI. Uh, so they usually use Ether or WBTC or USDC to collateralize. And then when they have that DAI, they can then do various things with it, right? They can trade it for Ether. They can trade it for other coins. They can also deposit it in various DeFi um, protocols to earn a yield. So CDI happens to be when people deposit DAI into Compound, which is one of the two or three biggest um, borrow and lending platforms then this will generate CDI. Uh, so as you can see, the market cap of CDI is like 1.5 billion. Um, one of the reasons it's so high is that um, because the Compound platform has a coin distribution of its native token comp based on how much you're supplying and borrowing from Compound, uh, people are basically farming comp by depositing and uh, borrowing DAI. And because the, the governance of Compound has been such that it's incentivized people to um, use DAI as the double-sided asset. Because, because the comp is paid out to people when they are borrowing and, and uh, depositing as much as possible, uh, mm -hmm. DAI becomes the best asset to use because it's yield uh, settings are the tightest. So you don't lose as much by borrowing it and then depositing it, borrowing it and then depositing it again. So that that's why you end up with a lot of CDI uh, as market cap. And as we saw like a few a few days ago, um, some of these double-sided uh, DAI farmers actually got stopped out on Compound because the Oracle price uh, shot up way past uh, 1.2. Uh, so in other words, the DAI stablecoin actually traded very high relative to $1. And these uh, farmers, these yield farmers were a little bit uh, caught off guard by that. 
I had never uh, looked at the market cap before. And when we just looked at it, I was like, hmm, why could it be like 1.5 billion when the market cap of DAI is actually only uh, 1 billion? So yeah, it's it's kind of mm. leveraged in that sense, right? Yes, um, precisely. If liquidations happen on compound, then this kind of DAI would, yeah, it's kind of almost the synthetic in that sense, right? It would disappear from circulation again. So do you think, maybe one last question for DAI, for CDI. Do you think that, that a coin like CDI could become something that people use as money instead of DAI? That's what people are kind of wondering right now, because this coin kind of pays interest in real time. Right, mm -hmm. like you're earning interest on it in real time. But there are some problems with that too, because the UX or the user experience of a coin that's constantly accruing value isn't, you know, it's not that great for conversion factors, mm -hmm. things like that. So, I, I mean, I tend to think it's going to be more likely that people will just deposit um, onto aggregators such as like Y, Wi-Fi, like the Y curve, and then that will re-aggregate into of a into compound and then that asset could end up being used um, but i but i don't think that the the tokenized balance of a specific borrowland protocol is likely to get that network effect where people use it as money just because it always will beg the question why don't you you know deposit it on like ave mm -hmm. instead right or on dydx mm -hmm. instead you're just not going to be able to guarantee that you have that best rate and so as a result the money's going to keep moving back and forth you know so it's a tricky one though a lot of mm -hmm. people have different theories on it okay thank you so moving on to tezos i All think right. tezos tezos is a pretty it's a pretty interesting coin based on fundamentals um it's it's a yeah it's the first um kind of chain they call it like chain based proof of stake so it actually has a kind of sort of like longest chain rule similar to to bitcoin and that's how it uh, how that consensus mechanism works it's it's pretty different from like the bft um based uh, style proof of proof of stake that kind of everyone else goes for they were also the first ones to um yeah use kind of uh complete the decentralized like on-chain governance, right? Where you kind of have, where, where you deploy kind of a new set of code and then uh, like uh, people vote on that, that code. And if the vote succeeds, then the code is activated, right? That's, we just talked about CDI and Compound kind of took that concept from Tezos um, of on-chain governance and yeah, they imported it into DeFi, if you will, right? And, and now the kind of Compound gov governance module has emerged as the de facto, I don't know if we can say like the gold standard in DeFi, yeah. but um, it's being copied by a lot of other protocols and I actually like it a lot. That would be in contrast to something like, like YFI, where you have a kind of informal governance where you have maybe people voting uh, via snapshot, for example, on, on what feature they'd like to see and then the governance or like the developers look at what people voted on and they implemented maybe a few weeks or months later, right? Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I think also like Tezos being interesting in that it kind of, it's kind of the first, you know, proof of stake, but also kind of first, first attempt to um, experiment more with um, on-chain governance. And I think it 
as a result, because it was in the backdrop of Bitcoin scaling a bit and so on, I think it got a lot of interest from Bitcoiners at that time as well. Uh, not not just Ethereum people uh, who were kind of really interested in the idea of like, like would this ultimately be a governance model that larger coins would use as well if it worked? So I think now it's not as popular to talk about on-chain governance for Bitcoin or Ethereum, but I think... I think back then there were more there was more interest in that as a as a test case for those coins so tezos also took a different kind of approach than all the ethereum quote-unquote ethereum killers that you see today right who, who are all uh, evm compatible yeah and um i'm pretty sure tezos is not right they have their own virtual machine yeah um and what do you think of that about for their chances of kind of getting developer traction. I think that's been their challenge, right? Because it's OCaml based, which is a functional programming language. It's a little bit difficult to get people onboarded into the framework and to sort of benefit from developer tooling. That, that's been kind of the big strength that Ethereum has had, right? Which is that it's relatively easy for anyone to just come in and do something within a couple of weeks uh, and find people who can support them as well. So I think that um, yeah, it's it's for sure. I think some of these projects that were in the you know 2015 to 2017 uh, phase of development, they weren't exactly sure what their product market fit was going to be. They were just wanting to put these ideas into action and, and put it on mainnet. So which Tezos has done. So so I think that that's. I mean, it's already impressive that they've done that uh, at that time and and that they have this community that they do now. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a struggle to find the application fit and to find the use case fit, um, you know, given the advantages that Ethereum has and some of the other newer coins have. So, what do you think is the, or what will happen to 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 chains like like Tezos, who are kind of intellectually very interesting, but uh, kind of struggling to get traction? What do you what do you think? Do you think we can have another bull run? Like we had in, in twenty seventeen, where people, where projects like, or base layer projects blow up purely on the possibility that they could get some kind of developer traction sure. years later. Or do you think that this run people will expect some kind of adoption already? You know, Tezos is an interesting one because it probably has more moneyness about it than most other proof of stake coins. I mean, for one. Uh, from the private sale or from the crowd sale, people contributed BTC and ETH into it. Um, and then since then, they've kind of safeguarded their treasury relatively robustly uh, in mm -hmm. terms of investing. So kind of has that treasury value that people do talk about when it comes to Tezos. Um, mm -hmm. And then for two, like they, they do have uh, very smart people who are committed to it and, and kind of working on it every day. So I think that it has a better chance of keeping up with the market than most coins do. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, the application side is likely not going to be what pushes it through because it's ultimately, because it doesn't have the uh, grassroots uh, participation of smart contract developers, it's very difficult for them to really get get that adoption. And so you just have to hope that it's the staking, it's the staking game, right? Where, you know, Tezos went up a lot um, a few months ago or around a year ago plus where, you know, people said Coinbase has to buy it. 
because uh, as more people buy Tezos and stake, the exchanges have to also buy it uh, to be able to uh, stake on behalf of their clients because of the way that the, they call it baking in Tezos, but the way that that baking mm -hmm. works. So, you know, stuff like that, it could happen again because it has moneyness to it. You know, its price history is long. So, yeah, I definitely wouldn't rule it out as a coin. But, uh, I mean, if you're, if you're buying it based on an adoption thesis, it's definitely a tougher play. Uh, speaking of adoption, coin number 18, NEM. Okay, I have actually no idea what this is. Yeah, NEM, the tricky one. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to pull up the coin gecko. I know it's very popular in Japan, uh, and that uh, during the coin check, this is, this is the hacked coin from coin check at that time. So this is also a top 10 coin at one point, I remember. So it's it's definitely, it, it's, it's a very 2017 coin, I'll put it that way. I I don't, I haven't seen much adoption. I haven't seen much that they're doing um, at this stage. It sounds like an Asian ripple, like just from reading the kind of uh, description here, right? It's it's supposed to be used for payment and settlement and clearing in a kind of interbank inter uh, environment. Yeah, we'll leave it there. I mean, I'd, yeah, it's it's definitely definitely not something you hear about a lot these days, for sure. Yeah, probably likely to fall out from the top twenty, um, if not this year, then next year. As I think there are now some very interesting coins that are not. No, they're actually quite far away from the top 20, right? All the kind of yeah. application layer on top of Ethereum, yeah, yeah. especially the, all the DeFi applications. I think we'll see many of those break into the top 20 at the expense of those kind of dead ghost layer on chain. Yeah. So that would be my thesis for 2021. Mm -hmm. What about Tron though? I mean, it's... Um, I'm not sure that I would call it a ghost chain i've actually definitely not a ghost chain yeah exactly i've used it for the first time this year when there was this kind of just dabbled around a little bit with the the sun uh sun mining liquidity mining and yeah. uh i mean you can say it's a rip off of ethereum it's a fork of ethereum and that's and that's true but i mean they are i thought that they are very smart about it in a way right so they basically have their own exact copy of metamask and just the way that you use it feels extremely familiar yeah. and, and fast. And it's super easy to just super easy to use, which you can't say about any of the other coins on here. Yeah. I think, you know, just the fact that there's so much USDT on Tron is kind of interesting as well, right? Because like a lot of that are probably just Tron whales as well, but also some of it is the fact that when the fees get really high on the Ethereum blockchain, a lot of ODC will use Tron USDT instead. A lot of exchanges will even try to push you to to, to deposit and withdraw in Tron USDT. So I think um, for some reason or another, Tron has managed to kind of get get that kind of uh, cheaper Ethereum use case uh, mm -hmm. somewhat. And I think you saw that with some of the gambling dApps too, right? That did okay uh, during the the bear market in 2018, 2019, where people were using these to uh, play a bunch of, you know, it's kind of like, you know, precursor to DeFi type stuff, right? Where, you know, you would have a governance staking token, not really governance, more mainly a staking token with revenues. And then there would be people playing in these dice games or these betting games. And that was actually all happening on Tron and EOS at that time. So um, 
it's unclear how much of it was real or not real, but the, you know, they definitely do have a community in China, in the U.S., and in a lot of these countries. Um, I think that where they may struggle is as as newer blockchains come out and do offer more technological innovation, it's going to be more difficult to get mindshare, uh, especially mm-hmm. as people have now realized that they really are just copying everything, right? Like there really is no there really is no sort of novel thinking behind uh, what they're trying to do. I think, you know, BitTorrent excited some people, but then, you know, people realized that it wasn't really going to, it really wasn't going to help Tron that much. So, so I think, you know, it, it's already surprised everyone by just not disappearing. So, you know, credit to them on that. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the best case thesis at this point is that it becomes something like Litecoin, right? Something that's, used by some that has nothing innovative about it at all um but that just kind of sticks around just based on its kind of network and lindy yeah, effect yeah, yeah. um and is seen as something where maybe people don't like it but they kind of like grudgingly like mm. tolerate it yeah being yeah, there. yeah yeah sure so wrapped wrapped btc i mean this is kind of like bitcoin but i I'd be happy to talk about kind of the intricacies of, of like WBTC and actually how it works because um, like many people don't actually know, right? So yeah. um, BTC, the sole custodian is BitGo, right? Do you know where they are um, located, like jurisdictionally? I actually don't know jurisdiction. It could actually be anything because I haven't myself read the legal docs for it. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're... My firm, Three Arrows, is one of the bigger uh, minters of WBTC, and mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why, you know, as you see, the market cap two point three billion, not nothing to scoff at, uh, mainly because of the primacy that it's managed to achieve in key DeFi apps. So Maker being one, you can you can draw die, you can borrow die uh, against WBTC, and also Compound mm-hmm. and Ave. You can do the same, and then obviously with Uniswap as well, where it was one of the four incentivized pools. So, so I think all of these things kind of got together, and I and I kind of always believe this about BDC on Ethereum, which is that you're going to need a network effect for it to, to really take off, and it's likely going to go toward a single one just because it's um, easier. So I think you've seen like WBDC and Ren BDC do pretty well, and then like everything else, kind of just no one knows how exactly they're supposed to try to use it. Um, so, so definitely, um, definitely a custodial, uh, coin you're kind of depending on BitGo to have those BDC and they do approve reserves, uh, by a chain link, I think, but, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not as bad as people think because USDT, USDC themselves are also custodial and we don't care anymore about those either. So it's ultimately, it kind of shows the power of DeFi in a way. It shows that. You know, people are, it's so useful to transact on chain uh, with BTC like this, that that people are willing to take that risk. The market is willing to take that risk. And so eventually when they have even more, you know, when they have more decentralized versions of it, then, you know, that'll be just, just even better, I guess. So. Yeah, I was going to ask you that next. So, I mean, WBTC is kind of racing ahead. It was like way easier to construct and to launch early on when DeFi yeah. was still very immature. And um, solutions like TBTC, um, 
which is is already decentralized, but it's, it's kind of more expensive to use and it's still very like mm. immature in terms of network effect. And something like Ren BTC, which is currently completely centralized, but I think their goal is to yeah. also add these kind of security bonds um, mm. that that TBTC has. So, do you think that one of those costlier, more decentralized solutions can eventually overtake WBTC or will it just kind of run away with its current head start network effect? I think it'll, I, I think it'll run away because liquidity is the most important part of the user experience. You want to be able to get in and out of it quickly. You want to be able to create and redeem it. You know, sometimes we, you know, if you want to put in a thousand BTC into DeFi, you know, with the other approaches, it's really difficult to do that. But with RAP BTC or REN BTC, you can do it pretty fast. So I actually think it's more likely that WBTC and REN BTC ultimately find ways to decentralize than that the, the current the decentralized coins find mass adoption. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Okay. I don't know if it's likely. I don't know if it's likely, but I have a higher. Ch I see a higher chance of that happening than a decentralized coin. A decentralized Bitcoin launching now and rapidly gaining market share to the detriment of WBDC and RENBDC. I think that's very unlikely. Mm -hmm. Kind of goes into the whole debate of how is regulation going to play out. Yeah. Right. So so far it seems that regulation on on Bitcoin has actually been pretty dovish, right? Yeah. Um, exactly. Like regulators, kind of like no one is actually thinking about banning Bitcoin anymore, right? Yeah. That was kind of topic four or five years ago, but nowadays. And they may think, you know, it's the devil they know, right? If they if they go and ban WBTC, maybe it pushes the market toward, you know, a direction they can't even fathom. So that yeah. al that also must weigh in for regulators when it comes to this kind of stuff. I agree. It actually brings us to the next coin on the list, which is Monero, right? Um, uh, Monero, that coin that's getting a lot more attention from um, financial regulators than Bitcoin. Uh, uh, so Monero is a coin that, that hides the transaction sender, the recipient and the amount. So, and it's, it's privacy by default, right? So, so you can't opt out of yeah. Um, using Monero in a private way because of uh, the ring signatures. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a coin that I um, actually like a lot. But at the same time, I must say, I was very surprised about how well it performed this year mm. because I thought there was a lot of, like the, the thesis that you need a privacy coin rather than a privacy solution on top of an existing coin was kind of falling out of favor. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think privacy coins were incredibly popular in 2017 just because they kind of seemed like they would be an investment class unto themselves, right? And then I think 2018 just bad for all all non-BDC coins, quite 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 bad. And I and I think 2019, you know, because these coins are a proof of work, it's you know, it's very tough for them to go up because there's just this nonstop selling. Uh, and and so it's hard for people to just imagine them going up when they're not in a bullish accumulation. So I think Monero clearly has gotten some traction in its original use case, which is being private money uh, in the past few months. And kind of the beauty of Monero too is that you don't even know why it's going up. You just, you know, someone somewhere likes it now. So 
that's pretty cool, I think. And you know, one of the bearish cases for privacy coins that people were making was that these coins, because they would have a hard time getting listed on a Coinbase or you know these kind of regulated on ramps, that it wouldn't have the money effect. Uh, and you know, that's not wrong. But I do think that to say that privacy is not a use case because you can just add some privacy onto Ethereum or onto some of the other coins, I think that, you know, I'd like to see it happen. I'd like to see it happen first because I I don't know if that will happen even uh, for one. And for two is I don't think it's, I don't think it's something that is is preordained, right? It could be that the Monero approach where you just create minimal viable privacy uh, does have a lot of value because there's the idea that that privacy will be protected, right? Because the network exists to defend that privacy. Whereas even that's added as a feature on Ethereum, it can be taken out as a feature too. It can be de-anonymized one day, right? By a new hard fork. It could be, you know, there's no there's no stability on which that privacy sits, in my opinion. So so I so I think. You know, if you're someone that really does value privacy and you want that, like it's pretty much only Monero at this point in terms of that 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 kind of raw privacy set. Um, yeah, right. It goes into like where privacy is actually part of the, the key social contract of a particular coin, and yeah. ultimately you don't just buy the financial asset; you buy into into a social contract, and the social contract is kind of yeah. important in the sense that. The community is actually committed to defending these core values and like making the uncomfortable decisions that, that kind of are necessary when, uh, yeah, when 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 push comes to shove, kind of right. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think about? Um, and this is a very old question, I guess. But what do you think about the kind of mandatory privacy of of Monero versus the kind of opt-in privacy of Zcash? So it's I mean, mm. we are supposed to kind of talk about Monero, but I mean Zcash is a coin that has performed, like it's almost a meme at this point, how poorly <laughs> it has performed since it launched. Yeah. So just to kind of do, do doing, I, I don't want to call it like a post-mortem, but um, just do you think that there was something wrong about their approach to privacy that kind of made it perform this way? You know, like, it's a good question. I, I think that there's two schools of thought on Zcash. I think there, there's one that would say that it's already a success because it's managed to to deliver opt-in privacy on a coin, which no one else has. And so it, it has the exchange listings, uh, you know, but it also has shielded uh, accounts, albeit not that many people use them, but, but they could. Uh, and there's, you know, you can now mine directly into a shielded account, a shield, shielded address. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it definitely works. So it's a success in that it, it actually works. It, it does what it says. Um, I think the, I think the small privacy set or the fact that not that many people use the privacy yet is just the fact that so much of crypto is people buying in anticipation of other people using, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, you got like Zcash investment trust, you've got Zcash investors that are in, you know, highly regulated entities. So I think that during 2017, that was part of the Zcash thesis for people, which was that it was going to be a very good privacy coin, but in the meantime, you could invest in it. It wouldn't be like Monero, where it would be very difficult to invest in in, in mm -hmm. a regulated entity. So, 
but I think they're, I think one of the things that was challenging for them is that they had the founder's reward, right? Which was a pretty pr big percentage um, of the emissions. And um, I think that that kind of, it, it put a bit of a tinge on, on some of their narrative. And I think also just the, just their emissions curve, which was modeled after Bitcoin exactly. I think people are starting to realize now that if you, if you have an emissions curve that's modeled after Bitcoin, like you're going to have just incredible amounts of miner dumping, right? Because yeah. miners are just doing energy arbitrage all day. And yeah. that, that process, um, definitely takes a toll on holders. On the other hand, you know, for people in the first camp who think that this is all going according to plan, they would say, you know, Zcash has one of the fairest distributions ever created in crypto because literally the earlier you heard about it, the poorer you are, right? Yeah. If you hear about totally. it now, you're not disadvantaged for someone who heard about it four years ago. Where else can you totally. say that? And the chain actually yeah. works. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like, I mean, it, it's, I can kind of see some truth in that too, right? Where, you know, anyone who owns Zcash now, you know that they paid a price for it that is not an unfair price versus what you have, where, that, that you can pay for it. And the question is, will it go up at any point? But, you know, even the market cap now isn't that low. So, you know, it, it, it could be achieving a goal while the investors are not achieving a goal. You see what I mean? So, yeah. and then maybe when the emissions are sufficiently low one day, then, you know, the investors will get their chance too. So it's, that's kind of the way I view it. Yeah. It's a coin that, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it would, it would stay around. It, it has a good future, but I'd, I'd probably rather buy it at like hundred dollars than at $70. Yeah. Like, even though that may sound counterintuitive, but I just, this kind of, I just want to see like some confirmation first. Yeah, so yeah, both Monero and Zcash, I think very, very interesting coins, uh, Monero in the top 20. So moving on to EOS. Um, yeah, EOS is kind of the original Ethereum killer, right? It's um, when it launched in, what was it, 2018, right? Yeah, main, to... mainnet in May 2018. They mm. had been doing an ongoing crowd sale for months before, I think. The coin started as an ERC twenty token that you could get mm -hmm. by contributing ether, and I think at some point eleven percent of all ether got contributed to it. It's impossible to know how really? much. Yeah, something wow. something pretty high like that. Um, so so definitely very very hyped at the time. I think mm -hmm. I think it kind of was the it was kind of the ultimate delegated proof of stake play where mm -hmm. people thought because Ethereum had scaling issues, you could do delegated proof of stake and you could kind of solve some of those scaling issues. You could have uh, lower fees, you could have more throughput, and you could also have some element of governance uh, through this delegation uh, process or, or through this like block producer, pro basically they're called block producers on EOS. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, no, it, it definitely got had a lot of adoption from developers. They wanted to build stuff on it. Uh, I followed I followed it relatively closely in 2018. Uh, but I think, you know, they they had a lot of economic incentive issues with the way that resources were allocated uh, across. You know, whether you're a user, an application, or a block producer, I think that I think that allocation of resources is very tricky to handle, and I think. Uh, without getting into too many details, I think EOS struggled with that. I think it, it struggled to figure out how that would ultimately work. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I think because of that rising complexity too, it 
it kind of got to the point where you know there were attack vectors that people didn't foresee in the beginning so there was a lot of things where you know they weren't sure what was solid ground and what was not uh mm -hmm. for the protocol so i think that um that's been one of the reasons why it kind of you know it's it's three dollars now it was hit over twenty dollars in may 2018 um it's still got a strong community the the existing block producers now are a lot of them are the big exchanges uh so yeah. so that also has raised some eyebrows in terms of just how 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 that works exactly in terms of the decentralization um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, I mean, it's still a two, $2.8 billion coin. It's still got a pretty wide distribution and they're definitely still working hard on it. Uh, but it's something that, uh, has generally not delivered as much as people hoped in 2018. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's interesting how that goes with the, um, exchange exchanges becoming the large uh, block producers, in my opinion. Do, do you think that's kind of. That's an issue that's kind of localized to EOS, or not at all. I think, think that's that's a risk for all POS coins. It's a risk. Mentally? It's a risk for all POS coins, right? I mean, with ETH two, you see that Binance, Coinbase, um, Kraken, these all have ETH two mm -hmm. staking. A lot of these validators may end up getting run in exchanges because they mm -hmm. are the ones that will provide liquidity from your ETH two to ETH one, right? So if you yeah. if you stake on an exchange, you can get that money out for 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 real ETH uh, very quickly. Whereas if you stake it on your own, you can't. So you end up possibly with concentration uh, from that aspect. And so I think definitely all exchanges will have, I mean, all, all proof of stake coins will have to figure out how do you mitigate against that? How, how do you encourage people to stake on their own? Um, so definitely, I mean, EOS kind of showed the dangers of that. I think it's also interesting in the sense that it was the largest ICO ever, right? I mean, they, they had a like yeah. an obscenely large kind of treasury. Um, yeah. I actually thought they would be able to do more with that just because, I mean, the, 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 the raw force that you can generate with that kind of money. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you, could, you, could, you could pay every developer on Ethereum 100K a year in salary. <laughs> in theory, you would have enough money for that. Yeah. Um, and I believe their treasury is mainly BTC. So I think they, I think they have over one forty thousand BTC, which is I think the largest uh, foundation, the largest ICO foundation in terms of Bitcoin notional. And they also have a lot of dollars as well, and yeah. and some other coins. So definitely a very formidable uh, player in the space. It could be that they're mm -hmm. biding their time and trying to figure out where can we really achieve product market fit. I think they're definitely wouldn't count them out in terms of be able to deliver something. Uh, but uh, it could be that they don't they want to see better what use cases are actually that they can actually go after with, with, mm -hmm. with you know with their community and with what they've done um, and they're kind of buying their time till then so rank number 13 usd coin usdc yeah um i think maybe the interesting angle to explore here is the kind of like regulated stablecoin or like more strongly regulated stablecoin um, versus Tether, which is more lightly regulated. It's still regulated, still compliant with US regulation. Um, but it doesn't, like the main difference I'd say Tether doesn't offer the kind of, the, the kind of proofs of reserves um, that, yeah. that USDC does. And it, it doesn't have the, the same kind of exchange 
support or it does have a lot of exchange support right it's it's kind of the trading pair on uh on binance mostly um but it's not actually supported by like a lot of other exchanges like coinbase yeah uh, or the the us one so what do you think about the the kind of head-to-head race between tether and usdc definitely been a big rise in usdc and i think they have run away with it in some sense among the among the us-based stable coins so mm-hmm. I remember when they first came out, people were saying, is it going to be PAX? Is it going to be USDC? Is it going to be GUSD? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've now seen PAX go toward a white label model mainly where, you know, when you use BUSD, which is Binance USD, or when you use um, HUSD, which is Hobby USD, those, mm-hmm. those are actually PAX white labels. They run on the PAX infrastructure and basically the brand is the exchange that is using those rails. So I think mm. USDC, because of the strength of their brand, the circle brand, and then because of their tie in with uh, Coinbase having, you know, being one of the easiest ways to mint USDC. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's been the main source of their strength actually. And, and I think DeFi has really helped USDC, right? Because, you know, in Curve, you have these pools where you have USDC, uh, DAI, USDT, and so people have to mint more USDC to participate in DeFi. It's, it's a key on-ramp mm-hmm. into DeFi. And then on top of that, DAI maker, because they wanted to create a lot of, uh, you know, help the peg get closer to one and be more liquid. Now you can mint DAI through USDC, so on very high leverage. So, so that creates another use case for USDC. So I, so I would say USDC has been a huge beneficiary of, of DeFi. It's uh, yeah. also increasingly commonly used in OTC trading now where, you know, rather than sending bank cash, we send USDC because it's instantly convertible to bank cash at Silvergate Bank with no fee. Mm-hmm. So, no. you know, sometimes it's just easier to pay via stablecoin than to pay via bank transfer because it's faster. So USDC kind of becomes like the proxy bank transfer, if you will, um, because of the ease of creating and redeeming it. Whereas for Tether, because there's slightly more fees when you want to create redeem it to dollars in a bank account, uh, it, it's not able to serve that function. So so I think that, 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 that kind of creates it. But I also think it's symbiotic as well. I think USDT has also benefited a lot from DeFi. And it's also benefited a lot from... Um, from, from from OTC as well. So it's, it's it's very much not either or at this point. I think of it more of like Tether is mm-hmm. more like Euro dollars where it's like yeah. more offshore dollars. It's still regulated uh, and, and it's still very yeah. legitimate, but just uh, a slightly different client clientele and then USDC being more focused toward uh, a separate clientele as well. Do you think USDC coin, like do you, do you see any chance that USD coin could become the official uh, like <laughs> central bank digital currency of the US, because we do see some, we do see it used now to export US dollars, right? Yeah, uh, that was really interesting. interesting to see. That was really interesting to see. I, I think there's definitely non-zero chance because it, you know, it already works. It has a network effect. So mm-hmm. if you're a CBDC issuer, you know, you you could just do that. But I guess I don't really un. I mean, I don't really know how regulators think. I don't really know how government um, bureaus think about this. Do they want to create their own from scratch to seem 
seem very you know smart or do they want to do public private partnership if it's the latter then they'll definitely partner uh with usdc they'll definitely partner and i think this could lead to some interesting use cases for some of the non-eth chains as well because you know if you want to give a ubi to everyone you're definitely mm -hmm. not you're not you're definitely not going to congest the ethereum chain and give out yeah. 200, to 200 million 300 million transfers so so i think there could be some there could be some blue sky use cases for slightly more centralized blockchains that are that are kind of uh nonetheless the government thinks they work so yeah so that that's that would be my guess what a cbdc will ultimately look like uh, i don't think it'll run on bitcoin or ethereum type chains just because it's too, it's fundamentally too expensive um yeah so yeah, then there's no need, right? There's I mean, no need. You're you're paying for the censorship resistance that you don't need, right? Yeah. So exactly. Actually, now <laughs> very fun coin to talk about, Bitcoin SV. Mm. Uh, this is this is ranked twelve. Yeah. So uh, it's still alive. Still alive. You know, it forked off forked off BCH in late. 2018. 2018, right? yeah, and they're actually flipping BCH for for a couple moments, and I think I mean you're probably more familiar with the technical debates that they had, but I recall it. There were two different, there were two key differences, but mainly that they wanted a much bigger block size, whereas BCH mm -hmm. wanted a, an adaptive block size, and then two being that. BSV, the people behind it kind of always wanted their own coin all along. So this kind of gave them the reason to do it. Um, I'm not sure that's in line with what you know about BSV. I mean, they're obviously ever increasing kind of the the, the, the block size and making it, I mean, for, for no reasons really, because yeah. no one uses it. And they're putting, and they're pushing through a lot of transactions and then saying that these transactions show that this is the real Bitcoin because it's got this massive throughput. But these transactions are, they don't need to be on a blockchain. And they also are not economically meaningful at all. So it's, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to me though that they've actually pivoted toward a lot of what I consider actually like Ethereum-based arguments for utility of blockchain. Like if you follow the rhetoric that BSV is, has gone toward now, it's much more about like, well, we're gonna also do, like, um, you know, put everything on the chain. We're also going to, uh, like, do like non-financial applications. Uh, it, it actually reminds me a lot of like early 2017 Ethereum rhetoric, uh, the, the kind of stuff that they think is going to accrue value to BSV, but no one can explain, you know, how, how those things are ultimately useful and, and no one can explain, you know, if, if those are their goals, why are they, why are they doing this on a proof of work, uh, fork of a fork, right? It's, it's not, it's not clear why they're doing that. So my my view on it is that it's something that like you said it, it has an end game which is ultimately very different than what they say it is and and that 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 could be that that could be something which is very like i don't think people should go around shorting it because it's it's something that they don't think is a good idea because you don't know what the end game is and the thing to keep in mind too is that when BCH forked from BDC in August 2017, even up to now, 
tons of BCH has never been claimed, right? Because people don't bother claiming it because it's such a small percentage of the BTC value. People don't bother to wake up their cold storage to uh, claim and sell it. And then you have BSV on top of BCH. So like the actual circulating supply of BSV is far less, it's far less than what people think, right? I don't know exactly what it is, but it could be 3 million coins, 4 million coins, 2 million coins. I don't know what it is. So what that actually means is that the the market cap is very overstated, basically, because a lot of that supply is not even activating. Um, they may not activate because of tax reasons, too. They may not activate because of, uh, you know, they don't want to dox their account, right? Because if they send that fork into Binance, they've now doxed, let's say, maybe a very large 2015, 2014 Bitcoin accumulation, right? Yeah, I mean, and it also puts a kind of cap on where it could go, right? So let's say Bitcoin SV goes like... Yeah, if it goes to five thousand dollars, yeah, if it goes to five thousand dollars, people are going to pay tax and, and claim their BSV. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, so. there's a lot of selling pressure on a coin like this that applies to BCH too, but to a lesser degree and much more to to, to BSV for sure. Um, where once once it rises too much, then a lot of dormant supply will activate and then crush it back down. And I wanted to go back to what you just saw, said about like you wouldn't short it. So I strongly agree the way I think about shorting um, in general with these coins is you don't want to short something where like 95% of people think it's a terrible idea and 5% of people think it's a great idea. Like you, if you, if you short a coin, you want to short a coin where like almost everyone is kind of indifferent about it, right? Um, not, not ones that have this kind of rabbit supporters. Um, regarding the end game for BSV, I think that I saw a proposal quite quite recently actually where um I mean I don't think you can actually run a node anymore for for BSV like unless you have like an industrial scale setup but um they are also now getting rid of the peer to peer network in general right so you they they, they don't actually broadcast uh, the the blocks anymore so I saw like the the most recent proposal was that just wallets just connect directly to to a mining node and I mean at that point um you can definitely get rid of the proof of work as well. You, 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 yeah, you are fully, fully at the server client model at this point that the, all the rest of the internet is already built on. So um, Bitcoin SV has lost everything that made it different from the existing internet infrastructure at this point. All right, Stellar. Yeah, um, is a fork of uh, Ripple, right? Yes. Pretty early fork. Yeah, not a distribution fork. Yeah, not not a coin distribution fork like BSV, but but uh, I think Jed McCaleb he would have been at Ripple, right? He was one of the founders there, and then he went and mm -hmm. did Stellar, and so he actually has a lot of XRP as well as being the founder of Stellar. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Stellar also is one of the few coins that is a little more interoperable with Bitcoin because of some I of actually don't features. know that. Yeah. I learned this one uh, a while back. I, I don't know if it's still true, but like it's Lightning Network, uh, it, it's, uh, it's uh, what's the word? It, it, it can, in theory, run on Lightning Network. Uh, mm -hmm. I think also Stellar had a huge Bitcoin airdrop yes. in early yeah, 2017. Definitely. And that kind of yeah. got some Bitcoiners to back Stellar because they thought that that's it's like it's like a ripple fork that bitcoiners hold more of 
in that sense. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I know very little about their adoption path. I, I haven't been following it too closely, but uh, the coin's been doing well in recent days. Um, I think I think with a, a lot of the CBDC stuff coming out recently, you know, I wouldn't rule out one of these more payment, micropayment focused coins to to uh, be able to deliver some of that stuff. I don't know if Stellar can do it. I, I don't know the technology well enough, but um, but like we mentioned, you know, you don't really need you don't really need censorship resistance in a CBDC. You need some kind of a uh, technology that you know the governments adopt. I don't know how it's going to look, but I do know that a lot of these kind of payment coins are going to be buying for that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be buying for that. I mean, mm. especially after we talked about USDC. Yeah. Um. I think actually USDC, the existence of USDC and how popular it has become, and the kind of public-private partnerships that it has already racked up at this pretty yeah. early early stage. I think it totally destroys the the kind of long tail investment thesis for something like Stellar. It does it does? If you ask me, yeah. it does. So I, I've I've never been more bearish on on Ripple and by by extension uh, Stellar than than I have been today. I think I think another point to add about Stellar too. We'll, we'll probably get into this talking about Ripple as well, but a, a ton of the supply is not active, right? So again, it's the market cap is high, but you don't actually know how many of those coins can be sold. And, you know, they recently, I think a few months ago, they announced they're going to burn some of their, you know, they announced that they're, they're going to burn some of their escrow. Mm. And then price went up for a while and then it came down. And then, you know, it, it's it's something where the coin supply is is not is not well defined, right? You ultimately mm. don't, it's, it's centralized in that sense, right? Where large amounts of the supply can be mo moving around, can be doing interesting things that, you don't know about that that historically has been the strength of the ripple stellar model which is that they can they can distribute large amounts of supply to key partners in, re, in return for them backing publicly supporting their project right so no. you know now the question is how, how do they use this you know if they're burning it that could be you know that could be bullish or bearish right it, it's bullish in the sense that they that the supply is decreasing uh, so scarcity mm -hmm. is increasing, but it could be bearish in the mm -hmm. sense that they're not they're not able to uh, figure out any other use case for this coin other than burning it to try to get the price higher. So, so number ten, breaking into the top ten, Binance coin. Um, I think Binance, Binance has done pretty much obscene amounts of volume trading volume, right? And I think that they, they hit a few days where they had like thirty billion dollars of, of volume. Uh, in November. So, what do you think about the, the exchange token? They've really been running away with um, the offshore market, I think, because you had big issues with OKX, right? You had the fact that you couldn't withdraw for over a month, so that wasn't great. Mm -hmm. And then Huobi had the, it still has the issue where I think three of the key people there are in prison. Yeah. So, it's also not a good look. Uh, so, I think. For a lot of traders, they've just been saying, okay, why am I even on these exchanges? Why don't I just go to Binance and trade where I at least know that uh, it's got a less, you know, less of a chance that the guy is going to be in jail. So I think mm -hmm. Binance has been a huge beneficiary of that. I think all, like also, like ever since they, they, they started, I mean, I, I think I've always felt that Binance is the most uh, focused on trying to make sure that their users 
are going to do well. So even the way you, that they did their launch pad, the IEO phase, right? It was very clear that they were the only ones who actually knew how to do the IEO because they brought on reputable projects that are still active today. And they made yeah. sure that they negotiated good terms for the launch pads so that the people who own BNB and then get to buy these coins, mm. they get a good deal and they're able to make money in the long run. So I think Binance kind of that that kind of very direct to client uh, relationship, I think it really helped them. Whereas the other exchanges, they then came in and emulated this. But before Binance, there wasn't really this idea that, you know, the client comes first. Um, and that the, you know, that the management is very uh, kind of reachable by the client base, right? I think, I think now with yeah. FTX and SBF, he's kind of like trying to do that kind of CZ game as well, where he's saying, you know, I'm very accessible. You can tell me things about my platform and then I'll change them. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a huge success. Uh, I think, I think the, the other thing that people underestimate about Binance, like since the beginning really is that they, because they've had this exchange token and they were one of the first to have a good exchange token, like a lot of their use, their user base are very loyal because they got BNB early and they made money from that. And BNB gets a lot of value accrued back to it through the launch pad, through BNB staking, through Binance Smart Chain, all, a lot of these different ways. But so it's something where people inherently trust it because the token of it has done really well, right? Yeah. Whereas for a lot of the other exchanges, they also then came out with an exchange token, but they didn't have a focus on how do you accrue value to this thing. They just kind of like let it be out there too as a second thought. You know, as an afterthought, and and yeah. so those exchanges, you know, some of the users actually left because they were like, you know, disillusioned that, you know, they bought this coin and then the exchange kind of didn't care about it anymore, and yeah, so maybe Leo, would be yeah, a good example of that, uh, <laughs> possibly, possibly, but but you know, like like even if you look at Huobi token, hasn't really done anything in quite some time. Yeah. It's at the same price as in 2018, so I, so I think it's it, you know, to Binance's credit they really were able to pull out that vision in a huge way, right? Yeah, I really like, uh, I mean, exchanges are kind of the big winners, right? Yeah. Beside the, originally the kind of layer one coins, and now this year we can say, okay, some application layer coins also did really well. But besides that, the only really big winners so far in crypto were the exchanges. And I think that the Binance token was what a way for, for people kind of to participate in that success for the first time, right? Yeah. Uh, in a very democratic way. And um, I mean, I like pretty much everything about this token. I think it's it does actually, I mean, even though a lot of people kind of disagree with that, I think it does kind of behave like Binance equity so far. And um, I mean, I don't really mind. A lot of, I think what most people criticize about it is the, the, the kind of buy and burn model. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I don't understand why people dislike it. I think it's it's functionally equivalent to a dividend, but it's actually better um, if you have if you worry about taxes in your jurisdiction. It's better tax so, wise, but but people think like psychologically the aspect of forcing the user to sell it in order to realize some of their cash flows yeah. is is like a bad user experience, uh, which is not wrong. Uh, so that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean we see that kind of the. If the number 
of your token, like actually the, the, the number of tokens you have goes up, you just prefer that over <laughs> yes. the value of the token going up. And yes. that is kind of the, yeah. the psychological success story behind all the rebasing. Yeah, tokens exactly. That we saw in the last nine, yeah. nine months. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, that could also explain like why maker so unpopular. Yeah. Um, if they changed from, I mean, we could, we could always come back to that topic, but I mean, objectively speaking, like makers on track to burn over 6% of oil MKR supply this year, which is a lot, right? That's kind of the most cash flow of any, of any token in DeFi actually. Um, and, um, if they changed the, the kind of model from, from buy and burn to, to paying like dividend, um, maybe even in die or whatever, I think that would be, that would, would probably go a long way to changing, uh, kind of the narrative around this coin. Possibly there's some other issues too. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, okay. I think that's it. It's it for, for Binance. Um, number nine polka dot um i think it's very interesting coin it's probably the the coin like after bitcoin and ethereum that i'd be most inclined to own of all the coins in in the top 20 so far yeah we're definitely big fans of polka dot i think i think the approach the team are 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 a bit unparalleled in the sense that uh the the team behind polka dot which is parody uh, Gavin Wood, they already have the experience of launching Ethereum, of being of being key in launching Ethereum, and building that community and bootstrapping developer interest and, and adoption. And I think that their motivations for creating Polkadot were highly sound at that time as well, which is to say that the architecture of Ethereum uh, may ultimately not be the way that you'd want to do it if you wanted, let's say application specific uh projects to really do well and mm -hmm. if you wanted sort of i think their other big uh, gripe would have been on-chain governance versus ethereum based fuzzy governance right where mm -hmm. i think ethereum with the dow hack and then with the eip one uh, 999 issue which is that parity had gotten some of their eth funds locked in a multi-sig wallet and then they had asked for the next hard fork to restore those funds right and then yeah. and then the ethereum community at that time rejected that i think that sort of the polka dot approach is to say that you know if you're an application you you secure the resources required to then have participation in a network a, a, like a you're sort of one chain within like other chains and through this you can have full autonomy right you can deploy uh whatever it is you want whatever makes sense for your project and you can also and you can also make sure that you have sovereignty right like there cannot be another hard fork that makes this not work anymore right whereas in ethereum where you saw that um i think in the constantinople fork like like aragon guys were saying you know you you you've changed things in this which require my application to change like a bunch of lines of code because you've now done this thing in your hard fork and, and that kind of stuff, if you think about just like, as it gets bigger and bigger, you know, how does that work? Right. 
how do we know what the implications of these hard forks will be on live applications? And and so that 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 kind of messiness and that kind of like, you know, that that I think I think Polkadot for me like I see it as like the highly engineered approach um, to to uh, smart contract applications. Uh, I think it's it's direct kind of analog would be Cosmos, uh, which has mm-hmm. a slightly different approach. Uh, but yeah, I I do tend to see these kind of plays as you know covering a, a number of bases and, and likely being synergistic with Ethereum as well, where applications can can be on both and they can access both and they can ultimately decide where they live the best, right? I mean, we already we always hear that Polkadot is very um, popular in Asia. Yeah. It has a large grassroots community. So are there any projects on top of Polkadot that you kind of track that you think would be worth checking out? Uh, I think it's a little too early for me to promote like any specific projects, but I think that um, I think the next few weeks and months will be key. I think a good way to learn is like Kusama as well, because so Kusama was the canary network for Polkadot, basically the Litecoin mm-hmm. to Bitcoin, and Kusama was super interesting in that. So it had four times faster block speeds. It had mm-hmm. faster governance module. It has like a lot of these kinds of things. And that's had tremendous amount of uh, grassroots developer interest. The Gusama price has outperformed the Polkadot price mm-hmm. in large part because of that. And, you know, there are even some people debating like, well, why do you even, you know, why can't I just exist on Kusama forever? Why do I need the prestige of being a Polkadot parachain, right? And, and all these kind of debates. So it's been, it's been very interesting to see it. Like, all I can say is like, it's very fluid and it's uh, definitely a lot of people interested in seeing if it makes sense for what they're building. I, I think you'll see a lot of DeFi applications uh, sort of plant a plant a flag in Polkadot over the next few months. I think Compound recently announced they they forked Substrate to to explore that, and mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a lot more others in the works. Because I think the nice thing about Polkadot too is that it has a lot of EVM compatible uh, tools now, so you know you can just decide if you want to try it out if you want to see if it makes sense to deploy instead on Polkadot. I think that that approach is, is ultimately good because of how much stuff has been done on, like on Ethereum and mm-hmm. how much people already know how to write in that. I think there was a big like e, like EWASM kind of a kind of a thesis as well for some time in the ETH killers. And I think like now, I think the more practical of these are kind of hedging their bets and saying, well, I also want people to just like be able to deploy EVM solidity, uh, and just be able to map it, and then you know, not have to necessarily write it in Rust, not necessarily mm-hmm. have to do that. Uh, so you know, it's I see them as the most practical. They they just want adoption, but yet it's also like the most engineered, I guess. Yeah, I agree, and I think yeah, mostly I think the case, as we also said, the, the case for Polkadot, it's in its very strong um, kind of community and kind of the the all the, the time it has already existed, right? It has already some kind of Lindy effect that yeah. the a network effect that the others might not have and social credibility behind it. Yeah. A coin that has existed for as long as Polkadot, <laughs> or maybe even longer, I'm not sure, it's in rank eight, Cardano. And um, this one is like a complete mystery to me. I mean, it's kind of here in the top 10 of all cryptocurrencies, but I... I know it's a proof of stake coin. 
that's and that's pretty much the extent of it. I, I have no idea what what it actually does. Yeah, I think Charles Hoskinson, founder, also early in Ethereum, named as a co-founder. I think they raised fifty thousand BTC in Japan, mm -hmm. mainly, but also in other countries, uh, which is quite a bit of BTC to raise. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that. I think that it's uh, definitely done very well price-wise. Uh, even despite being down, I think still 85% versus all-time high. Um, but yeah, I I don't fully understand the roadmap at this stage for them uh, in terms of adoption roadmap. I think it's become, you know, it's one of the coins that's on BitMEX when BitMEX had all BTC perps uh, mm -hmm. and all, not all BTC perps, all BTC futures. So like it's been one of the coins that people like to trade a lot. It's a little, little bit like Tron, right? Like a lot of the MEX traders, they like to trade Tron and Cardano because it has, you know, it's a nice shelling point. Like if people believe in an alt season, they like buying Cardano because it's high market cap, it's liquid, but it also mm -hmm. moves a ton. So it's benefited from that, I think, that that kind of lindiness uh, where hmm. people buy it as a, as a proxy, right? So yeah, it's it's almost more like yeah, it represents something. The idea, like, yeah, it represents yeah. the idea of a coin, which is a low, <laughs> which is a low price, right? It's a fifteen cent coin, so it is one of the lower price uh, coins. Yeah. Interesting. So interesting. It is actually the, it is the only coin below a dollar in the top ten, so it does have XRP. This kind of XRP pieces. is XRP is also. Oh, you're right. Yeah, XRP is sixty cents right now. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah. Cardano fifteen cents. Yeah. So it's That's cheap. True. So it's cheap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Chainlink in Ring 7 is pretty interesting. I think it wasn't really taken seriously for the longest time. Um, but I mean, Chainlink, I mean, you can't really debate. A, it has done extremely well price wise. It has a highly dedicated community. It has kind of, besides Bitcoin, has kind of the best memes. Um, and they're actually, actually doing like interesting engineering work, uh, that I respect. So they are poaching some, some very, uh, prominent, uh, uh, well, academics, um, kind of, yeah, they, 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 they are, they are doing just doing overall very interesting work. I think Yeah, and a lot of partnerships, like not the kind of partnerships that we saw in like 2017, 18, but like actual integrations with. DeFi. Yeah, I think Chainlink definitely like one that we miss mainly, uh, and I think that nonetheless it's um, it kind of is the kind of is the poster boy I think of application thesis, right for DeFi because I think when Chainlink came out and you told people that Chainlink could become ten percent of Ethereum market cap or you know something like that, people would have thought that ins quite insane, right? Whereas now. You know, this is very comfortably so. And I think that it kind of shows that we don't really know still how value will accrue in this ecosystem. We don't know if the native token of the smart contract platform that wins or if there is one winner will accrue the value or will the Oracle layer that is, you know, queried, uh, will that accrue the value? And is that winner take all or will it be the user facing applications that you know it's no one knows the answer to these questions uh so 
you know, if the application thesis is correct, then I think you'll see a lot of DeFi coins enter the top 20 over the next uh, few months because these are actually used by people and they have a way to accrue value. Uh, if the thesis is wrong, it may be wrong because applications somehow can't maintain value because of forks, because of, um, you know, a uh, war to zero or something like that, or governance being captured, whatever it is. But then you'll see like base layers ultimately, you know, benefit from the economic activity, kind of the city versus the, you know, the countryside analogy that people use. So I think Chainlink is very emblematic of, of that. I think it's definitely the best Oracle solution now. And, and uh, it's got the credibility too. So everyone is now forced to use it or if they don't use it, then they get harassed. Right. So mm -hmm. it, it kind of, it, it kind of has that network effect. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Chainlink, there's still a lot of things that I don't understand about it. Like I haven't looked into it too deeply. It might be interesting to eventually invite like some Chainlink person to just yeah. learn about it a bit more. Yeah. Let's get yeah. some Chainlink experts on in a few yeah, weeks. That'd be, be fun. Would be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Bitcoin cash in number six. Um, yeah, I mean, it's still there, but it has lost uh, a lot of value against BTC uh, over the years. And um, I mean, it, it just makes kind of the whole idea that you can fork Bitcoin and kind of destroy its scarcity. Um, I think Bitcoin Cash, I'm very grateful that it exists because mm. back in 2017, people were like extremely scared um, of Bitcoin forking. They, they thought, if Bitcoin can be forked, it would invalidate the, the scarcity of Bitcoin. So there's unlimited supply of it. But the fact that Bitcoin Cash lost so much value against BTC is actually, I think there's even like at the end of the day, you could say that the fork actually generated value for Bitcoin, even though it, it looks so. like it would destroy value at first. I think so. And I think people have started to realize that the... It's kind of it's kind of anti-Lindy when you have a fork, uh, and the fork doesn't achieve what it says it will. The longer it doesn't do so, the more it'll kind of decay against the original coin because the narrative for it is very difficult to resuscitate. I think, right? Because because the longer that it doesn't do what it does, it it's harder to convince people that it can do it. Um, so I think Bitcoin Cash. It'll actually always be around, I think, because it's got a lot of OG support uh, from people that will probably never give up, uh, mainly because they've also quite big, you know, they still have a lot of BTC and they're also still quite active in the crypto markets as a whole. Uh, but I think, yeah, you know, it's also it's also been damaged, not even more so from Bitcoin, but also from Ethereum, right? Because I think the people who bought into the idea, who buy into the idea of blockchain utility, Mm -hmm. being the main driver of price and network effects, you know, a lot of them went to Ethereum because that's where all the utility actually came about, right? Where stable coins yeah. were getting created, ERC-20, massive network effect. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of lost the Bitcoin network effect, the, you know, the brand and the, and the in, and the investor community. And then it, it also lost the utility mantle to Ethereum. So I think, like yeah. I like I always say, like if Bitcoin Cash had forked off in 2015 or 2016, 
it could be very different now, right? It could be that Bitcoin Cash is worth a lot more. Um, it could even be that, like that model, uh, because where we would have been in, let's say, uh, in sort of Mises regression uh, theorem, where you know which money is the more useful one in the beginning, mm. it could have been that this is now the one we think of as Bitcoin. Now we don't even know that it like. You don't know which because because the one that wins is the one that we think now is the real one, right? And we don't know which one the yeah, fork of course, is. Yeah. So like Ethereum is actually like a fork, right? It is clearly the fork of Ethereum Classic, right? Or in the sense that in the sense wow. that it is a it is a more aggressive act. How do you to put it that way? So yeah. So so I mean, yeah, all blockchain forking is kind of has this kind of like ship of Theseus yeah uh, aspect to it, right? Where I mean, Bitcoin has 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 forked, and I mean, has hard forked when there was a bug, right? And in yeah. theory, someone could keep running the kind of original. They can keep running the original that has like exactly. billions of bitcoins on <laughs> exactly. it. And, I mean, this wouldn't be the the original Bitcoin, right? So yeah. I think that it is indeed like the kind of social contract, like the yeah. It's hard to say what determines what is Bitcoin or what is Ethereum. Like it's it's just you can talk endlessly. It's whatever about it. we decide it is, right? So yeah, yeah, I think I think Bitcoin Cash now the struggle is to you know I think the struggle now is to figure out what is the roadmap, what is the adoption roadmap, um how do they how how do they create um a larger community than just the OGs that forked off Bitcoin during the scaling debate. Those are all tough questions. I think that yeah. um, you know Ethereum having the utility that it is, it really doesn't help Bitcoin Cash at all. Uh, yeah, I think they, I think Bitcoin Cash, they try to do you know simple, simple ledger protocol where that you know you can do transfers of tokens on Bitcoin Cash, you can do dividend payments, mm. kinds yeah. of things. A lot of it is a little bit, you know, it's a, it's, it's a little too little too late. I think, um, you know, where the, those ideas were kind of cool in 2016, but you know Ethereum, the grassroots community, and and just the yeah. power of that ecosystem is tremendous right i think in a single day ethereum grassroots you know thinkers create more stuff than bitcoin cash creates in a year in my opinion yeah yeah so sure. so that that that's tough i think that's very tough on the utility yeah. side it's always interesting to do the kind of postmortem on what they could have done differently and i think for me the biggest thing that i that i see with bitcoin cash is they didn't give like bitcoin people any reason to own it really because it's not in my opinion it's like it's okay that you want to fork off bitcoin and that you want to do uh, like follow the kind of payments and utility vision but they didn't really lean into it enough i mean that's the i kind think of they spent too much they... i think they spent too much time arguing and and not enough time yeah. de delivering their roadmap right if they had yeah you know if they had delivered the roadmap and earlier you know they could have gotten there but i think i think also their playbook was a little bit more focused toward um, toward payments and toward merchants, right? Toward the idea that uh, merchants would accept it and that would be the way that it gets uh, adoption and, and becomes used as money. And I think, again, like stable coins definitely hurts that a lot because USDT got used instead uh, in yeah. USDC. And, you know, it's just it's just tough because, because once you have that, then how do you tell people, well, you're going to, people are going to use this volatile coin as a yeah. medium of exchange. And it's, you know, it's, it's ultimately you have to carve out that niche for people to own it. Like you said, and they haven't done that. And proof of work itself is very challenging because 
you in the meantime you will have miners selling it doing energy mm -hmm. arbitrage on it right who may not even believe in it but who will so if you try to move the price up they will move hash over to to sell it so you know it's it's very difficult i think yeah i mean bitcoin really has no like bitcoin in its current form has no competition right it's it's basically the only real store of value uh, that's recognized by everyone whereas and it's it's kind of like the pristine collateral like every every other blockchain wants to import it um to to be used in its applications and so on whereas with bitcoin cash you have the competition like you have coins that are or blockchains that are more useful like ethereum can deliver more utility you have stable coins that beat you on the payment side you have sent more centralized blockchains that beat you on confirmation time that's that's like my big problem with bitcoin cash there's nothing that it does really well and i think that's that is the best way to lose right in in a game that's all about kind of uh, about network effect yeah. and winner take all i mean it's it really only matters in this space to be the very best at something and that's when how you catch uh, carve out your niche but it's not enough to just be there and be like do 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 various things like a little bit yeah with that said like i I wouldn't be that surprised to see Bitcoin Cash price do relatively well over the next year, just because you you had so many waves of flushing out now, and with this recent BCHA mm -hmm. wave, where um, now, from what I'm told, there's more developers that can get more of a say because you've had sort of a calling um, via mm -hmm. that process, and so they have a they have a better chance now. And also, I think the investors in BCH, a lot of the ones who got disillusioned, they have quit. The supply is getting increasingly centralized also from that perspective. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's ultimately a question of can BCH track BDC as it goes up because people buy it as a philosophical hedge against, let's, let's say, Lightning Network, against the Bitcoin vision? Because if so, then, you know, BCH can remove in a ratio versus BDC, let's say, like, you know, 0.01 to 0.1 uh, for the rest of time because it'll always exist as this philosophical hedge, right? But people definitely do that much less now than they did, let's say, in 2018, where they said, you know, the blocks are full, we buy BCH, or the, you know, the blocks are not full. You know, so, so, so this kind of, it remains to be seen, can they push that narrative? So if BDC blocks get full, will people buy BCH? If not, if they, yeah, did, if they just buy ETH instead, then it's, it's not good. And, you know, it's, it's going to be tough for them because they decouple from that. There used to be a lot of triggers where people actually bought bitcoin cash or yeah. where you saw kind of on social media kind of narrative shift right yeah, yeah. would go very high on, on btc and immediately you would see yeah people press bch but that just doesn't happen anymore no it doesn't happen at all so so we originally wanted to record an episode episode on options right and i, I really love what you said earlier we have a project forks off another project and has this kind of vision that it wants to realize every day that it doesn't realize that vision you, you have this kind of time decay right yeah. that you have an option side right? where where forks i think it makes a lot of sense actually to think of these forks as options yeah. on realizing some kind of vision and yeah then you have the, the, the time decay where it gets worth a little bit less every day where it doesn't get closer to that and um i mean you do have this kind of counter counter force which is the kind of lindy effect right so you have on the one hand the time decay and on the other hand the lindy effect so it gets worth a little bit more yeah. every day where 
that's still around. And so yeah, it really goes into, I guess, which of those forces prevails. Definitely. A coin that actually is very similar to BCH, right? In rank five, Litecoin. Um, it's is it, like why is it still in rank five? Like, <laughs> how, how, how do we explain this? I think Litecoin is actually it's definitely the second most Lindy coin after Bitcoin because of actually how early it was created, and also mm -hmm. because it was I think because the gold silver meme is very strong in the traditional markets. You kind of, mm, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's created, it's kind of put itself into this digital silver concept. And I think to their credit, I think what they've done really well is they've kind of aligned themselves very closely with the Bitcoin community. Like they never claim they're going to flip in Bitcoin. They, they, they never claim that they're going to overtake it. They're, they're just like the kid brother, right? They're, they, so, but but as a result, I think they've actually been able to capture a, like a lot of retail interest because, you know, when Bitcoin is really high priced, people say, okay, well, you know what? I just buy Litecoin. It's you know, it's the the unit price is lower, so I can own whole coins, and um, and kind of it. I kind of see Litecoin as the ultimate beneficiary of like unit bias on Bitcoin, hmm. more so even than XRP because I think XRP it still requires a narrative. You still need to believe some things to be true that that banks will use it right that that x rapid will that will happen uh so whereas litecoin you don't need to need to believe anything you just need to you just need to think that it's digital silver digital gold and you know if you look back in time you look at a long chart you can see wow it's been around almost as long as bitcoin right and actually the more years that go by the more it'll look like it's been around almost the same time as bitcoin right like if it goes around 50 years yeah. litecoin is around yeah. 48 years it's basically the same yeah. Right. So, totally. so, so I actually like, and, and you kind of see that because it's also the, one of the only coins that is definitely not a security, right? Because it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it was not pre-mined, uh, it's proof of work and mm -hmm. it is dominant in its proof of work chain, right? It, it, it shares an algorithm with Dogecoin, but it's dominant on its chain. So, so I think that that's also good for it. Um, and it has all the payment. It, ha it has all the on-ramps as well, right? Like it has the PayPal on-ramp. It has the other on-ramps because it's not a security and because it's Lindy. So I don't, I mean, I think it's, it's it. Litecoin definitely triggers people because it's a very, it seems like a regressive bet because it's like not, it's not betting on any technology, right? Like it does work, it does function as the test net for a lot of Bitcoin in innovation, right? So it's a test net for SegWit. Uh, it's test net for some other things that I can't remember right now, but, um, you know, that the lightning network, the lightning that's, network, that's lightning network as well. Yeah. yeah. So it, it does, it does serve that purpose. And so it, it has value because of that as well, because of that prestige. And mm -hmm. there are a lot of like, you know, more, more hardline Bitcoiners that will only trade between Litecoin and Bitcoin. So if they think there's an alt cycle, they'll refuse to buy any alt except Litecoin. Interesting. Right. So that also gives it a kind of lindiness uh to it uh, like i would say like like canonically right you know some of the like the most og bitcoiners in 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 certain countries like they only will touch btc ltc and xmr because they think th th these are the only coins that are like you know clean right in that yeah. sense so so that that that's why it's number five i think despite the fact that 
no one knows what the, like if, if there is a roadmap if there needs to be a roadmap you know like all yeah. those things i mean i really i think litecoin really tells an interesting story in the sense that you have a ton of i mean you really do have money crypto and tech crypto right yeah um, these kind of two this is the pure money terms. crypto exactly yeah yes exactly there's so many people in this space who, who think that basically this this is like a technological revolution yeah. and we need to innovate in order to make the price go up. But Litecoin is still the purest version. I mean, <laughs> nowadays Bitcoin is, is also getting more and more pure in that sense that it's, it kind of ossifies, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, Litecoin is really, it doesn't change. Um, it, it doesn't innovate whatsoever. It's, uh, there's nothing interesting about it technologically. It's just a network of people who kind of respect its value. And yeah, I mean, it's been around for a long time. It's probably going to be around for a long time. And yeah, I mean, the regular case, as you say, for it is, is also extremely clear. I think it, it, has, it has more going for it than what well, people who are in the tech crypto camp are willing to believe, I think. Certainly. Number four is USDT. So I think the, the big story, I mean, for one, has reached 20 billion market cap. So really insane growth. But I think the big, the even bigger story is in 2019, um, basically, you could ask almost anyone, they would have said, what, is, what are the odds that Tether goes belly up in the next 12 months? And uh, a lot of them would have said, very likely. But we're kind of seeing the opposite, right? I mean, kind of the all the talk about Tether going down and kind of the, yeah, it's completely disappeared, right? And trust in it is uh, basically at completely new levels. So why is that? I think people underestimated the network effect it already had at that time, right? Where mm -hmm. if you're Binance, if you're Huobi, if you're OKX, you know, you, you need USDT to work because if it doesn't work, then nobody can trade spot on your exchanges because, you know, to this day, there is no spot USD on these exchanges. You have to use a stable no. coin and you have to use a relatively neutral one too. I think for a while, you know, Binance and Huobi thought that they could get everyone else to use their own stable coin, but that's a tough sell, right? Because, you know, you're now trusting that exchange to run the custody of it. What if they don't like the way that you're competing? You know, it, it makes sense for it to run, to be run more independently, right? And I think, like, I think with USDT, it's really benefited from the fact that uh, when people, when the markets go up also, people sell into stablecoin and they'll naturally sell into USDT because this is the coin that they're most sure that they can buy back in uh, in a liquid way, right? Whereas there's no real USDC trading pairs like anywhere. Uh, yeah. on any exchange uh, for BTC and for ETH. So that that big, you know, I think I think USDC shows the big liquidity network effect that the top stablecoin will get because people want to own what everyone else owns. So people want to own yeah. the stablecoin that everyone else wants to own uh, because they know that they can get in and out of it with big size, right? Without having to go and create and redeem it. Um, whereas if you hold USDC or any of these other coins, you have to actually get someone to redeem it for you. You have to actually mm -hmm. do a fiat on and off ramp to be able to get the value out. So here, you know, it's become the de facto dollar of crypto as a result. 
and to their credit, they've sorted out their issues. You know, they sorted out their banking issues. They moved to the right jurisdictions. They moved. They got the right partners, and and so they really managed mm -hmm. to grow from there. Yeah, yeah, and I mean Tether is it's like six times bigger than USDC, but it's probably more than six times more liquid, right? Much more. Because actually USDC is a lot of it is locked up in DeFi, and it's it's sitting in these kind of like liquidity pools, yeah. sitting in Maker, a couple hundred million of it. Exactly. And I mean, it's not, it's really not serving a lot of usefulness there. It's more used as collateral than used as a trading pair, right? So yeah. Tether is, Tether is predominantly used as a trading pair and not as collateral. Yeah. All right. XRP. I think it's kind of a hybrid of different narratives. I think it's, it's very early, right? So it has some lindiness from that because everyone has heard about XRP and Ripple and this kind of stuff. And, you know, for a long time, it appeals especially to traditional finance people when they first learn about crypto because they think, huh, XRP, like, you know, it, it doesn't have proof of work. So it seems like you're getting something for free. You're kind of getting consensus without having to work for it, without having to expend energy. So that appeals to some people. You know, it's also got the, uh, the, the you know, the unit bias going for it with the, with the 100 billion supply. And I think mainly it's it's been able to do these partnerships and then use the partnerships to parlay it into what looks like adoption. And so, and they get very motivated partners to come on and, and, and sort of collaborate with them on that, right? But whether it's actually going to be able to deliver its roadmap, uh, which is that people, banks use XRP uh, to transact value, uh, to do remittances, to do payments, that's that's remains to be seen, right? And and I think that now that there are CBDCs, like you said, and other stable coins, it's it's very difficult to sell that narrative. And I think, you know, people the, the like the markets do get smarter over time. So I do see tech thesis crypto as having a slightly lesser version of that same anti-lindiness where the longer you go on and talk about bank adoption and, and the longer it takes for you to get it, it does hurt, right? Because, you know, people say like, you've been around fucking seven years, where's your adoption, right? Like why, why is no one using it yet? So I tend to think that fresh narratives will in general do better uh, this cycle. Um, and I think that the less fresh narratives they almost have to pivot into fresh ones, right? And so you're seeing that now with XRP, because they're they're planning the uh, Flare Network fork uh, in the, in maybe three or four days, uh, where basically oh, what is it? Uh, basically, it's going to allow you. So it it forks out Ripple's uh, XRP, uh, Ripple Labs XRP, and it and it ah. takes the and it takes the distribution, and it and it gives the Ripple Labs uh, equivalent coins. Of the supply of uh, Spark, it's called on the Flare network. It, it gives this to the users. It, it, it gives this to the uh, company behind it. So, mm -hmm. uh, but, but but the idea is that you can then use DeFi on Ripple because they it's e, it's EVM compatible uh, the fork. So the idea is that oh. so the idea is that you're going to be able to use like XRP on Ethereum. Uh, so, so you kind of see how that's like almost the capitulation, right? Because it's like, and and yeah. Ripple Labs is supporting this uh, 
this for quite heavily. So it's, that's kind of why it's gotten support now from Coinbase, gotten support from Binance that, uh, that, that, that you can claim your Spark from your XRP that's sitting on those exchanges. But, you know, like, I, I see this as actually very bearish because this is, like, you're, you're now turning your XRP into a full copycat of Ethereum, right? You're, you're basically saying that there's nothing compelling on the XRP roadmap. You're literally going to copy, uh, you're, you're going to say we can also use this in Ethereum DeFi, right? And that, that to me seems like, like even, even retail will catch on to this, I think. Yeah, I don't really have a lot to add about XRP. I pretty much agree with all of that. I think it's always like it's always a long shot to bet that any of those are going to disappear from the top ten. I think if you if you actually go back on Coin Market Cap and look at like, I like it that you can look at like the the top one hundred list by year. Um, yeah, I find it a re really cool feature. And um, like in every year, you have Bitcoin and you have XRP and you have Litecoin pretty yeah. much yeah. in the top three. And uh, until Ethereum came around, and eventually Ethereum broke into the top three. Yeah. And Litecoin slowly fell out of it. But yeah, I mean, it is really hard to see with kind of the CBDC narrative dying. I think like it had some, it, it had some, some supporters, right? I mean, XRP, even in like the traditional finance sector who were very skeptical about Bitcoin, mainly because they thought that if Bitcoin gains popularity, then it's going to be banned. But at the same time, they were like big believers in digitization. Yeah. Um, and those were the kind of people who thought that, well, XRP is maybe going to re replace SWIFT or whatever, right? And, yeah. Um, but I don't really see the case for that. And it's increasingly going away. I, I agree that now like them burning supply can be interpreted as, as, as a kind of capit capitulation. And yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, sure, surely wouldn't want to hold it. All right, last two. Yeah, so the the big two. Big two, Bitcoin, Ethereum. I think it's super interesting actually to talk about Ethereum because, I mean, our podcast with Light, mm. it got so much attention and um, we were actually, we actually said some some bearish stuff about Ethereum, right? Yeah. That, that got a lot of attention on crypto Twitter, <laughs> sparked a lot of responses. So um, where we should, we could do like a kind of recap of, of what happened since then. Yeah, I think, I think that, you know, one of the reasons why Ethereum price is a very, uh, is a very hot, I guess, hot-headed topic is because it did so poorly, right, uh, mm -hmm. in 2018. And so a lot of the community, they feel that, like, I, I think it was best described in one of the tweets, so I think they described it as, like, PTSD, right? Like, yeah. so, so I think that, like, now that it's doing well, I think to like hear that people are not ultra bullish on Ethereum versus Bitcoin. I think it. I think it. Uh, it does trigger some people. But I mean, with that said, like I am bullish Ether versus almost ninety five percent of coins, right? Like maybe ninety percent of coins. Uh, like I think it, it's the only. It's the only smart contract chain that can legitimately say it has adoption, right? People yeah. use it. You can you can earn a living on Ethereum uh, using yeah. the Ethereum chain. You can't say that about anything else. Everything else is still a promise in a white paper uh, to a large extent, right? Especially outside of the top 20. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think 
people have really underestimated ERC20 network effects. People have really underestimated MetaMask network effects. People have really underestimated um, just the fact that Ethereum, even with its high fees, or even with its sort of uh, you know uh, transaction ordering issues and things like that, it it doesn't it doesn't matter because because it has so much of the other stuff, right? It has the, has the composability, it has the developer community, and it has the users that 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 actually want to use the application. So I think that that's important to remember. Like it 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 is number two because it has all that. I I think that also um, I I I can definitely see a world where we go more into power law where where you know Bitcoin is eighty percent let's say and Ethereum is twenty percent and you kind of have this like power law distribution. It's getting quite popular in some of the chats I'm in where people think like this will be the way that crypto evolves. Like it'll all grow together and then you have this like you know this power law ratio. I I could see that happening. Um, I still don't really buy into the flipping narrative because I think it's fundamentally flawed from the point of view of understanding why Bitcoin right now has value, right? If you think of it as a contrapositive, if you say, you know, Ethereum already has higher fees than BTC, it already has it has a has more on-chain fees to miners, it, you know, it already has more transaction value transacted, it already has, you know, it's easier to use, then why hasn't it already? Actually, it actually still has substantially less transaction volume. Right. I meant uh, fees per day. Fees yeah, per day. That's much higher. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so why doesn't it already flip in Bitcoin? And you know, I think for Ethereum people that they, they would say the reason is that they would say the reason is that people don't know yet. People are just kind of stale longs in Bitcoin. Mm. Uh, yeah. and and once they realize this utility, then they'll switch over, right? And I think I think that I think what what some of them are missing. I think I think to, to be honest, most people like in Ethereum they understand why people also own Bitcoin. I think they get that to that to be the digital uh, numeraire to to be the digital money, it requires a high degree of trust minimization. It requires a high degree of possibly ossification at, at some point once it it works as intended, right? And there's a debate on whether it reached that point yet or if it's too dangerous that for it to already ossify i think that that can be a debate but i do think that it's it's very difficult for people to imagine a a digital money that is uh let's say hard forking quite often that is uh that the monetary policy no one can really define it and especially given the fact that ethereum doesn't have on-chain governance it's impossible to describe even the process with which the monetary policy is created, right? Like that, I think that that, that reality uh, makes it a relatively uh, less appealing, as, like as a money for a lot of people who are coming into crypto buying due to the premise of digital scarcity. Um, I think that I think that there is also a unit bias element to Ethereum right now that that may help it, which is that uh, you know Bitcoin is at all time highs. A lot of people missed it, so they may see you know ETH at you know forty percent uh, of all time highs. It seems like a good value, right? I think that 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 element is there, but it is worth noting that even with the ETH to deposit contracts hitting over one million ETH, even with all the DeFi coins breaking all time highs. Even with all that, you know, FBTC ratio is still 
you know, 0.031, right? So, so it, it does, it does tell you something about like where the fiat inflows have been. And that's been very Bitcoin USD driven. I, I personally think, you know, Ethereum has already achieved so much though, that it's almost, it's almost not that useful for the average person to debate Bitcoin versus Ethereum. I think, I think, you know, it's, it's clearly, if you own a basket of those two, you're not going to go wrong, in my opinion. Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're betting on flipping, I think it's a little bit ambitious, but you'll probably still make money in dollars, I think, and you'll probably still be quite okay. I think that those are, um, those are valid approaches um, that uh, people can kind of take. I think that the the biggest uh, thing that I would say that people who own mainly ETH should consider is the fact that DeFi applications, um, you know, whether that's Aave, Sushi, Wi-Fi, uh, whatever it is, these coins, um, they benefit a lot from the Ethereum network, but they also want to accrue value for their own token holders and deliver utility to their own users. So I do think that there is this myth in, in or not myth, but there is this divide, you know, and 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 I think Molly, uh, the founder of Hedgic, kind of uh, talked about this very nicely, where she said, like, you know, I don't care about your Ethos money, Vitalik, Buterik. She spelled it wrong on purpose. This Vitalik, <laughs> this Vitalik Buterik stuff. Like, I'm I'm using Ethereum because it's permissionless, and I can deploy my app there. Yeah, I think that's. I think like a lot of the. Like the, the the strong Ethereum supporters who get very angry, like when we say something bearish about Ethereum, they they kind of misconstrue like criticism or like bearish versions about like ETH the token with criticism of ETH the platform. And I think it's very hard to to overstate like how how bullish I am for like Ethereum as a platform, right? Um, but it's it's there's no guarantee that that kind of adoption of Ethereum as a network will will transfer one like with the same degree that it would in something like Bitcoin, right? Where there's only one investable token in the Bitcoin universe, um, whereas in Ethereum, the app layer can go 100x from here. And there's no rational link why that should make the Ethereum token, like Ether as a token more valuable. You, you can argue that like once we have proof of stake and once we have ERP1559, that it will kind of increase the amount of fees that are generated on the network. And it also makes ETH more useful as collateral in these networks. But especially from the collateral side, um, that, that's where I see kind of ETH challenge the most, right? With more and more um, Bitcoin coming on Ethereum. And I think it's, it's quite likely actually that Bitcoin on Ethereum will flip an ETH on Ethereum in 2021. Um, it, it's It's... Well, maybe not in 2021, but I definitely uh, the amount of stable coins plus BTC. I think that's where would I that's where I, I'd commit to a bet that that would probably flip me in, in in 2021. And then, I mean, you get so many other options for coins to use as collateral um, in DeFi that, yeah, I mean, I, I would not want to own ETH, but I also I'm still not nearly as as bullish on it as I'm on Bitcoin. But I do like I don't know if you saw this tweet, but Amin had had actually a great tweet and was kind of at the bottom 
of the of the ETH BTC ratio, and what he treated is that it's all kind of like it's all kind of short term, and people underestimate the kind of re reflexivity that that you have in uh, in crypto, where if for whatever reason ETH was to go to like five hundred, then the entire narrative would flip, right? Because it's not actually that much based on fundamentals, but then people would say, I mean, come on, it generates that amount of fees. Like, how can it not be worth like five hundred or <laughs> or six hundred dollars, right? And I thought it was such a great like case study where actually a lot of people did change their tune, right? Once once uh, once ETH recovered, so it's actually the the price informs the narrative and not the other way around. Yeah, many of these cases definitely. And I think ETH is the kind of token where if it breaks all time highs, like. When it breaks, it's a very good buy through all time highs because of the fact that it would mean that it took out all the you know all the natural selling supply uh, up to that point, and like it would radically enter price discovery, right? Because of the fact that yeah. uh, something will have been validated in its token uh, value accrual, and something will have been validated in the idea of investing in ether. Uh, so, so I think that like. Ether is definitely the most reflexive asset in the space. Uh, you know, mm. when it's at eighty, hundred, you know, eighty dollars, hundred dollars, people are like, "This, you know, you don't even need ETH to have any value for Ethereum to work, right?" Like economic yeah. abstraction. And then when ETH yeah. is at like, you know, eight hundred dollars or thousand dollars, people, you know, say this is going to flip in Bitcoin. Uh, it's like a Bitcoin superset and all, and all that kind of stuff, right? So it's like, yeah. but but people don't realize too, like a lot of those like big high and big lows, like. It only lasts there a few weeks because as soon as the as soon as it changes, like like the hot money goes the other way, and and so I, and so I like what worries me the most about it is that like it's still very hot money driven, but over time mm -hmm. it's gotten it's gotten you you have more sort of long term holders now, you have more sort of long term believers uh, that it's a good it's kind of become the Bitcoin cash of. It's it's kind of inherited that Bitcoin Cash mantle more so than I think a lot of people have realized, which is that uh, it's mm -hmm. a hedge against BTC. Like if BTC truly ossifies and it ossifies too early and it like just doesn't work, Ether will become the money and it'll it'll kind of inherit that role. I think that that like a lot of the existing and the the, the sort of more sustainable monetary premium that ETH has will be from as a hedge to Bitcoin. Uh, I do think that that's the case. Um, so that does yeah, give it a floor. Do, that does give it a floor price yeah, that, yeah, that the other tokens yeah. don't have, right? Yeah. I think it has sort of predictable amount of upside and downside against Bitcoin, actually. I don't think it can flip in Bitcoin, but I, I'm also like 100% sure that's not going away. Like if I had to recommend two tokens to buy to to like people coming into this space, actually I did that even when I owned like very little Ethereum. Yeah. Never owned no Ethereum, but for a time I... I own very little of it. Um, even then, like poker friends of mine were buying crypto for the first time. And I told them, like, yeah, hold them for at least a year yeah. and buy Bitcoin and Ethereum. Buy them, like, sort of based on, on the kind of market cap uh, weight ratio. Because I, like, long term, I'm definitely bullish on the existence, this the, the continued existence of both of them. Yeah. Let's just talk about like, okay, so that, what is there to say about Bitcoin at this point, right? Bitcoin has almost, I think, breached past all-time highs and the thesis, or like what a lot of people said is it's super quiet, it has been super quiet around Bitcoin on the run-up. 
Yeah. And what, but once we breach like the, the all-time highs, kind of the, the media machine is going to turn on. Yeah. A lot of people will get this kind of, like for the, for a lot of people, the moment they actually end up buying Bitcoin is this kind of the second time they hear about it, right? Because the first time they think it's some stupid idea or it's a bubble uh, or it's tulips, right? But the second time they hear it, often like years later, that's the moment they, when they realize, oh, it's, it hasn't gone away, right? So something about my mental model ha has been wrong. And Eric Wall has written phenomenal posts about this, that they kind of verbalized this, this concept uh, very well, which I re would recommend everyone to read. But I think that's why I, 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 I'm actually bought into this idea that once Bitcoin makes a new all-time high, that's when you, you, you do get this ramp up in, in attention. And then a lot of people will get the second look on Bitcoin. And it's the second look that will turn them into believers. Yeah. And I think also just seeing a lot of the people that they do respect in traditional finance and traditional you know, figures coming out and saying that they see merit in Bitcoin. I, I think that Barry Silver had a really good quote in 2018 where he said, you know, 2019 is where crypto gets more respectability and Bitcoin gets more respectability. But 2020 is mm -hmm. where like you really get like social proof from Bitcoin. Like it becomes prestigious in its own right. And I think you're seeing that a lot this year and, and definitely you'll see a lot more of that as it breaks all time highs. Like, like just even interacting with a lot of, you know, traditional finance people in Singapore, like the, the, the social prestige of Bitcoin, I don't think has ever been higher than it is now. Right. Where yeah. even you speak with like bankers who are like are against it. They're like, huh, like that's like, you know, it's impressive now to be associated with Bitcoin. So I think that that is a sea change. And I think that um, that's also why you've been seeing a lot of high net worth buying. You've been seeing a lot of family mm -hmm. office buying because for them, it's not about it's not about uh, outperforming. It's about keeping up. Right. It's about, OK, if this is going to be a numerator, if this is going to be digital scarcity, then I need my own piece. Right. If I own, let's say, X basis points of the total wealth in my city, I need to own X percent of Bitcoin just to get back to my original wealth distribution, right? So, mm -hmm. so that's the way a lot of these guys are viewing it. And I think that 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 kind of, you know, if you speak to the ODC desk out there, they'll they'll tell you the the on the the, the ODC buy flow from high net worth is 100% BTC right now, uh, oh. and and that and that's spread across whether Asia or Europe or US. So, I mean, you you kind of you kind of see that in the price as well. But I think it just goes to show like. They have been studying it for years. Some of them have dabbled in it earlier, uh, and they've seen it, you know, fend off the forks as you mentioned. And they've also seen it kind of um, get regulatory, uh, get more regulatory clarity in some sense mm -hmm. as well. So I think that um, all that has kind of come together uh, in a backdrop of very heavy monetary easing uh, and uh, money printing. So I think. I think it's, it's no surprise that we're at all-time highs now, and I, and I think that um, I think that the the thesis for Bitcoin as a store of value has never been stronger. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you used to have kind of career risk from owning Bitcoin. Yeah, and I think we are approaching the point where you have career risk from not owning Bitcoin, Definitely. and I think people underestimate how fast this kind of can flip. You know, like one like zero to one moment for sure for sure so yeah that was an unusual episode but i thought it was very fun to just i don't know just catch up uh, about like with you of course but also about the, the different coins 
for some of these, I haven't really thought about them in a long time. Mm, definitely, yeah. It's been, uh, it's been unusual for sure, but uh, I hope people got something out of it. And, uh, and uh, you know, anything we say is just our opinions. It's nothing more. <laughs>